The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, we talk with Amelia Arvison, a freelance journalist and creator of Honing Her Craft. We talk about her experience blending her passion for reporting and the outdoors, the importance of journalism, and some of her recent creative projects. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and joining me today is Amelia Arvison, a freelance journalist and the creator of Honing Her Craft. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. I know. Even if <laughs> I know it's it's I feel like the last last time I saw you was probably the last OR show, right? That was in Whenever person. That was. Yeah. I don't even remember. It was, was that summer mm-hmm. of let's see, what are we nineteen probably? Summer of nineteen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can't keep track. So it's I good know. to see you. Um, not not in person, but see you over Zoom. So um okay. I I have to mention always appreciated like your work your journalism like you've written about our program before you've always been good to our program and um we got to turn the tables a little bit and and talk to you about you you're you're always talking about other people and what they do Mm -hmm. um i thought it would be fun to uh share with our students and other listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into the industry and and even if we don't have students who are looking to get into journalism the work that you do is so important i think it's it's pretty critical that we like highlight the work that journalists do in the outdoor industry. Um, so I, I guess to start, like, how did you, what was your first exposure to just the outdoors in general, not even the industry, but to the outdoors? Yeah. So I grew up in Northern California in the Bay area and my family built a cabin in the sixties in Mammoth Lakes. And so every summer, like for 21 years consistently, Um, we went there in the summers. Um, it's usually like a winter destination. People think of it that way, but, um, I think it's underrated in the summer. So we would go fishing and boating and hiking and nothing hardcore. I mean, we slept in the cabin in a bed and a mattress, you know? Um, and so I would say that was the very first time. And then I was like, um, a serial camp Uh, like counselor. (laughs) So I went to every single camp imaginable. Construction camp, I was in the Girl Scouts, I worked on a houseboat for a summer, Um, and like really I think created like... construction (laughs) camp? I think it was a Girl Scout program and we built horse troughs and bookshelves. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, and so used some power tools with uh, the supervision of counselors. But yeah, that was like where I really established like my independence, I would say, in the outdoor industry or outdoors um, and outdoor experiences apart from my parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, always dirty, always coming back with like mosquito bites and connecting the dots on my arm. Um, So so yeah, that was kind of my intro to hiking and camping. During that time, did you ever think about oh, there's like people who make the stuff, like there's a business behind this or there's an industry that people are part of and people work doing this stuff. As a counselor, I don't know if that was volunteer or if that was that was for work, but was it during that time that you recognized, oh, there's like something larger here, like people do this for their livelihood, they do this for work. Was that a moment for you or was that later on? Definitely later on, I wasn't even thinking about gear. Like I didn't care about brands. I didn't care about, you know, the best carbon fiber trekking poles. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I just had like a lot of people, the tennis shoes that I wore to school and the tents that they provided. And so it wasn't really until college when I started understanding like, oh, this is a thing 
that people can do for their careers. So well, took a I, while. I think that's like an interesting perspective. And this is a recurring theme. And maybe it's just top of mind because it's like a conversation that's happening a lot in the outdoor industry. But um, I, I was actually just having a conversation with Dr. Rachel Gross, who's a, a professor of history and studies the history of the outdoor industry. And we were talking about Gore-Tex being this thing that you have to have in order to in order to participate in the outdoor industry, or at least that's what you're told, right? It's like you have yeah. to have the right equipment to get out and participate. And that's a barrier to entry for so many people. Um, so I think like what you just said, that's kind of the purest form, right? Of like, well, it's just whatever you have is the gear, you know, obviously you need the right gear for the right situations. But in a lot of cases to go and enjoy the outdoors, you can just do it with what you have, right? And, and sometimes we think a lot about like, oh, I need the right stuff or I need this thing to be able to participate. Um, well, when did you start to discover that, like, maybe, I don't know if telling stories is the right way, uh, uh, you know, to say it, but journalism, I guess, in general, when did you discover that that was an interest for you? Um, and then we can kind of go to the, the leap of, okay, how did you leap from journalism to journalism in the outdoors? But what, when did that become an interest for you? Uh, it was in high school. I took a journalism class, um, and, or I think it was newspaper journalism 101 or something like that. Um, but I don't know. I remember picking up a magazine and thinking like, or I think it was the newspaper. And I was like, I want to be in the newspaper, but I don't want to be the subject covered. Like there's nothing really interesting that I have to offer, but I want to write about these people and meet these really interesting people and hold these conversations that like, I don't know, like 60 minutes, the journalists were asking the tough questions there, right? Like I wanted to be the one asking these really personal questions. And I don't think I understood like that those questions had an investigative element to it, that they had like a theme, they were trying to get something out of this political figure. But I was like, I just want to talk to cool people. So my first story for the newspaper was about our school mascot, um, the grizzly bear and the, the kid who wore that outfit. So yeah, that, that's kind of, it set me on that path. And then um, I interned at our local newspaper and was kind of on the newspaper track for the first three years of my career, um, working as a breaking news reporter and crime reporter and before the outdoor industry. That, so. that grizzly bear piece sounds like it really hard hitting, hard hitting news. It was. Yeah. It was kind of like, I think the title was the man behind the mask. So oh, it that's was great. investigative. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, so you always had an interest in, in kind of the investigative side, even mm -hmm. if maybe you didn't recognize necessarily that that was like an angle that, or, you know, or, or um, a lane that you could find yourself in. Um, you end, yeah. uh, end up getting into that space. What was interesting about kind of the investigative side for you? I mean, it's cool to know something that other people don't know first, mm -hmm. right? And um I mean, I think there's a justice part of my soul that people should know about these certain things, whether it's a corrupt business practice or some CD police officers. I don't know. It's just, I like reading about that and I really respect those who cover that. And so I really wanted to try to do it also. Um, yeah, and just uncover some things that um, I think our world should know about. So, and I was kind of forced into the crime reporting position. <laughs> like I didn't necessarily choose to do that. Um, but I had some really great editors who kind of helped me, um, write those stories. So it wasn't just me. It was kind of like, you have to write the story cause you're covering this beat, you know, yeah, which was I good. Yeah, I think there's like an interesting parallel. If I want to tie it back to like product design students, like mm -hmm. in a lot of cases for your first job, let's say at the North Face or, you know, any of these large companies, like you don't necessarily mm -hmm. get to come in and say, I'm going to make this thing that I think is really cool. Just like, you know, I, I, I guess there's like in some ways, yeah, you could probably bring a story um, that you think is really interesting or, and has legs and pitch it, right? There's an element of that, I'm sure, in that role. Just like, you know, in a, in a company, yeah, you could have some ideas and you can pitch that, but to a degree, like 
you're handed, okay, you got to deliver this or like make this product, you know, give me this concept, write this story. Um, how, how was that? You know, it's probably something that you just got to do. Um, you know, you got to get those reps in, um, and, and learn the industry. Um, but, but was that difficult at times, like working on things that maybe weren't as interesting or did it open your eyes to, to something that became more interesting to you? What, what was that like for you? Yeah, I think I came at stories that I wasn't necessarily excited about with um, some compassion that this will give me a new lens into this person's world or this certain field or business. And I mean, it wasn't always enjoyable, but like I did it, you know, like working late at a city council meeting on a Thursday evening. I don't even know if that's accurate, but... (laughs) That's what I, you know, remember doing and not necessarily loving, but always coming back to, okay, this is going to be like part of my job and part of my story. And um, it's going to make me a better writer and journalist and citizen even. So, yeah, I think as a like newbie in your profession, um, kind of balancing bringing your own ideas and kind of being an advocate for that innovation while also kind of going with the flow and and being a good uh, student um, are both really important things to kind of handle. Right. It's like recognizing your place within the larger structure, but also not settling, right? Or not totally. pushed around. That's got to be a delicate yeah. balance, whether it's in journalism or, or product design. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, from, I mean, from there, you probably just got so much repetition. You were able to start to, I guess, you know, hone your craft, right? Like hone mm-hmm. your skills. Um, Cause there's like core skills that as a writer, you need to develop um, just like a, a product designer. Like there's core technical mm-hmm. skills that you've got to develop um, as well. Uh, so I imagine that's, that had to be really impactful for you, especially probably where you're at right now where, yeah, you get to pick and choose a little bit more like what you're interested in. Um, you've been able to develop like the core skills that enhance, like, I guess a little bit more the, the freedom that you have right now to, to mm-hmm. work on stories that you're passionate about, like, because you put in that time beforehand. Yeah, I think so. It's like, oh, I know I don't want to write a breaking news story anymore unless it's about something I really care about but I know I can do it. And I know that those skills make me an efficient writer, even when a deadline is a month out. So, right. right. Yeah. Well, working under that time crunch, right. It's like in a, in a, you know, um, a fast paced environment. Um, probably I you can speak to this, um, more than I can, but like working under someone else's deadlines probably taught you to now, like when your deadlines are self-imposed, Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably work around more self-imposed deadlines. Like you're able to keep those. I don't know. How has that been now that you're doing more of that freelance work? There's always deadlines, but do you get to set some of those yeah. more now? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, obviously my editors have expectations that I have to meet. Um, but I think that that breaking news, uh, like those lessons I learned helped me um, with time management. I think that, it's like, okay, I have three hours. What am I going to prioritize in writing this story? Is it the lead? Is it like going through my entire transcription with somebody to find that perfect quote or remembering from what like I had in my notes? And so I think now it's like, okay, my deadline, I have a deadline on Tuesday coming up. I have 3,000 words to write. How am I going to block those three days like leading up to it, including my weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to have a weekend, so let's count the work days. And so, yeah, I think that um, I think that it helps even when deadlines are set by editors. And then also with like honing her craft, I'm like another Tuesday deadline. I have I want to send my fifteenth newsletter out. So what do I need to do in order to meet that? Um, I have an interview today, so I will probably end up working over the weekend to get that together. But but yeah, like managing, managing time um, around that, I think has been one of the biggest lessons and getting good at like blocking your schedule out and all of those things. Right. We'll get more into honing her craft for sure here, here in a little bit. But I, I imagine like working 
on someone else's timeline and in a fast paced mm-hmm. environment. Now that you're launching your own project, it's, it's probably easier to like learn, okay, like when I was working in that kind of environment, like that's something that I can pull into this, this project. Like I can build those gates for myself or those deadlines knowing yeah. that that's going to help me be accountable or help me deliver or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when did you make the jump from, um, you know, I guess you were doing kind of like tr- crime and breaking news to outdoor? Um, yeah. So I think while I was at those newspapers, um, I was always working on side projects, freelance side projects, though not full time, of course. Um And so I got connected with one of the editors at um, the REI Journal and just started writing there. Um, And so when I was finally ready, like, okay, I know I don't want to be a crime reporter. I know that newspaper, I want to kind of go into some other areas. Um, I had a friend, her name is Cassandra Cluse. You might know Mm her. She's a freelance journalist also. Um, we talk like every day (laughs) and she mentioned, uh, that she was leaving snooze her assistant editor role or associate editor role there. Um, would I be interested? And so I applied, there was some like, you know, paperwork back and forth and was eventually hired, um, got to go to my first OR and yeah, I think I was valued there by Kristen, Hostetter, the editor-in-chief, because um, I did have that breaking news edge. Cassie was also a breaking news reporter at one point, and so it was just this interesting um, kind of lineage of the next editor to help Kristen. And so, yeah, I just started covering the outdoor industry kind of in a similar way, like looking at kind of the heartbeat, um, the different issues that came up, who was getting hired where, um, and writing some of the similar stories that I had been used to in newspapers, but for an industry um, and B2B reporting, which was cool. Do you, it sounds like that's unique. Like, I I don't know if like at other publications or out, I guess I'm kind of looking into like the history of outdoor journalism um, right now. And I don't know how much you've dug into that yourself, but it's, it's been really interesting for me to learn about like the history of snooze um, as an organization. And then prior Mm -hmm. to that, you know, well, like, you know, publications like Backpacker and the history of Outside and yeah, Mariah, right? And let's see, what are some of the others? Noon is the one that I discovered recently, National Outdoor Outfitters News. Um, yeah. And we, we have a few of those publications in our archive and and here at the university. And, and I've recognized more and more like the work that those outdoor journalists did to tell the story of the industry. And, and a lot of that material doesn't even exist online anymore, which is, I yeah. think is so interesting. And so when you're going back to learn about the history of companies, it's the journalists, right? Who are the ones who are doing a lot of that documenting. Most of these companies don't have an internal archivist who's preserving the history of their brand or, um, you know, depending on the company, some of that, the, the old paper, you know, these old items like just isn't, valuable and it, and it gets tossed. So, um, I guess the point of that is, is like the work that you do is like, is, is really impactful. And, and I think from your, from your kind of the business crime, uh, perspective, do you, did you feel like you were able to report on things that weren't being covered at the time or weren't being talked about? Um, I don't know. Any perspective there? Yeah. I'm trying to think about, I mean, we got tips all the time because Kristen's so established in the outdoor industry. And so she would pass those on to me and like, hey, sniff sniff around. What can you find? So I think that there was a bit of that. Um, It didn't necessarily always end up in a story. But I think, I mean, the backcountry story Mm -hmm. was like that, Um, even though the Colorado Sun broke that story. um, There are some layoff stories that came about in that way. And so I feel like part of the outdoor industry is like everybody knows everyone and everything, but at the same time, it's not public. So there's kind of this like network within where people are talking. And so it was kind of like 
like tapping into that? Like, how can I be part of that? Um, I want to hear those whispers. And so a lot of that would happen at OR, you know, Kristen would say like, what are people talking about? Like, go find the story. And it's like, okay, let me just interject into this conversation. And like, what were you talking about again? And so, yeah, I think there is a little bit of that. Um, And it's a lot of listening and, you know, trying to, trying to suss out what people care about, um, whether that is layoffs and a shift within a company or bigger things that are happening. So yeah, I hope that helps. <laughs> oh, it does. So you mentioned this, like the outdoor industry is like very tight knit. And I mm-hmm. think everyone wants to be on good terms with each other. Like there's, a, there's like yeah. good vibes at, at the outdoor retailer, right? It's like everyone, yeah. um, it, it seems like there's, everyone seems to support each. It's a very supportive industry in that way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you, did you ever find that like a challenge as a journalist when you're trying to like break a story or like, you know, you hear something like, were you ever afraid of, well, as a journalist, like you're not necessarily out there to make friends when you're trying to break a story (laughs) serious, right. And has like serious implications. Like what was that balance like for you? I think I was so new in the industry starting at snooze that I really actually didn't think about that. And I think, I mean, of course I care what people think of me, you know, Mm. like we all do, but I think I was just so naive that I didn't know. And so I remember one story in particular where there was this culture kind of shift within a company when a new leader came in and there was this talk about it being like toxic all of a sudden. And I won't say that company, but um, yeah, I think that it was really hard to report that story and it's something I'm still interested in looking into. But the challenge with it is that like, people have reputations in the industry Mm. that they want to uphold. And while that's okay, we all have that. I think that does add um, an extra challenge. And I think that's true in any industry, like tech, education, like we learn these characters of the industry Mm. um, who people, you know, think of and don't want to disrupt. Um, And so I think there's a lot of like, I don't know, inner workings within that. Um, politics is another one and so so yeah I think that I've as I've gotten more in the industry I like am more attuned to that Um, so we'll see what that results in right right (laughs) and if I have my own reputation too like not that it's something to withhold but or uphold but um yeah it's interesting where all those characters come into play Right. With with that said, what do you think the state of like outdoor journalism is right now? Um, you know, it's because it, like I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, right? But I've it's been interesting to look at like the history of outdoor journalism, and I'm yeah. still trying to piece it together. Um, but it's like a rel- it feels relatively young, right? Um, like really, it seems like the '70s is where things really started to pick up. I think mm-hmm. like Summit Magazine was like the 55 is where, you know, like the first climbing publication really started. There was probably, you know, something, you know, in, in other um, categories of the outdoor industry before that, but it's not super well documented to to my knowledge, but um, it's been interesting to kind of look at the evolution of outdoor journalism. So where, where do you feel like it is kind of right now? I feel like, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, we've got magazines and even like the outdoor rec reporting and newspapers that have been around for a really long time. And then we have this new archive of podcasts and digital media and even films that um, like I would include brands films into that or sponsored films and so yeah I think you're right that it's kind of still young and it's evolving um even more so than like other media outlets and other industries um but I think there's a lot of opportunity like I mean not everybody's going to be a journalist on those platforms or seen as a journalist but at the same time like we have more access to information than ever and now I feel like I'm a talking like a tech teacher, which I'm totally not. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think that even if a product designer is interested in the history of a magazine or something like that, there's opportunity there for them to, 
either be interviewed or put their own voice out through the, a podcast or whatever. And so I don't know if that is helpful, but I think when I'm looking at like what my career is going to look like, it's not always going to be writing. And I'm looking at, I don't know, things a little bit more, um, yeah, like layered and three-dimensional, if you will, than on print, which is kind of cool. Storytelling evolving. Yeah. Yeah. Becoming a good communicator in using different mediums is like more and more important all the time, right? It's like, like you mentioned, yeah. that shift to, to podcasts, audio, video. It's just being able to tell stories in different formats um, and reaching people where they're at is seems to be a, a constant theme that I've, I've noticed. Um, it's, yeah. You know, it's like we, I keep going back to our archive, um, but I feel like I it's, it's oh, thank you. I feel like <laughs> yeah. it's a good, ex, it's a good example though. We, we were just kind of thinking like, Oh, university archives for people feel stuffy. Like it feels mm-hmm. like there's a barrier there. Like how mm-hmm. do we help break down the barrier for, for people? And we thought, let's just put, put the archive where people already are right which is instagram and in a few years it'll be something else right so you know whether you're a product designer a journalist storyteller whatever it's seems like there's always a constant shift to new mediums right and like you can never sit back and say oh i perfected this thing like you're always having to learn something new but yeah um, i was even like a book about the outdoor industry that's kind of been my dream of like yeah. the different yeah brands i mean snooze has like if you search on snooze a certain way it's like snoozenet.com like forward slash man i don't even know what it is but you can search each brand on its own and there's a page that mm-hmm. has like the north face was you know founded and blah, blah blah by who you know these people and I don't know, it would just be so cool to kind of put that. It is in one place, but to build that out and to make that um, its own publication would be interesting. Well, let's work on it. I, I want to help with the archive. We, we can help provide some resources there. So we'll have to talk about that yeah. one. That's, that's a great yeah. idea. I, and I think, like you said, opportunity is the word, right? I think they're, mm-hmm. where this is like a relatively young industry, I think there's so much depth to it there too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as I've talked to people like Dr. Gross and she's kind of expanded my mind and told me, well, well like the outdoor industry mm-hmm. didn't start, you know, with the Yvonne Chouinard, right? It's like maybe the modern right. outdoor industry did, right? But mm-hmm. before him, it was Holy Bar and Jerry in Boulder. And before that, Eddie Bauer and L.L. Bean. And, and before yeah. that, Abercrombie and Fitch, right? When it was an outdoor yeah. company. Um, well, and so like, while while there's it's young. There's, there's just a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of stories that remain untold, um, which I think is interesting um, amid all the changes. Right. And, and one that we probably should mention, right. It's like kind of this shift again, kind of this theme of shift in media, right. Powder kind of turning page and, and, and shutting down. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's just an interesting time. It seems like for outdoor journalism, outdoor media in general um, with that said. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, I don't have any answers necessarily, but it just, just putting it out there, there, it seems like there's a lot of changes and a lot of opportunities for stories to be told. And, and I think um, kind of with your background, it seems like some of that hard hitting um, mm-hmm. journalism, I think there's more and more opportunity for that than ever. Right. I, I think kind of the backcountry story was an example of, mm-hmm. of that, like stories that are just kind of lurking under the surface that, um, you know, there's a real opportunity and a real like need for people like you and others to like tell those stories. Um, and so it, I don't know, I, 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 again, I don't know where I'm necessarily going with that, but again, kind of the opportunity seems to be the word of the day. Yeah, no, I agree. And I hope to find, like, I have some stories that are sitting in the wings, but I'm also hoping to come across just as I listen and meet new people not so much like exposés or anything like that, but just the actual counting of like what's going on, um, I think is intriguing to me. And sometimes people call that investigative, but yeah, it's just archival and accountability and all of those things that, you don't know, I like doing as a journalist. Right. Well, so kind of shifting gears, you know, from the hard hitting news, um, side of things, you've been writing a lot about, um, product itself, right? So you've yeah. been a user of product, especially more 
you know, now that you've gotten in the outdoor industry, you have it more access to product, more access to gear. Mm-hmm. Um, for someone who doesn't know what goes into writing about product, what, what's different about writing about a product or reviewing a product? It's, it's not a matter of just opening up a blank page and writing, this is what I think of this product. Like there's yeah. got to be a process. There's got to be something to it, um, you know, to, for, for a, a good review. Like what goes into a good review of product? Yeah, well, I would say that um, not just one person tests it and gives their opinion. There's several different people and different environments and different sizes and um, testing a product. And so that's what I try to do with my tester team um, for Backpacker. And, um, And so then we take it out in all different types of environments for what it was made for. And not only write down the different like like um, materials it's made out of, but like how does it actually perform on the trail? Um, what does it feel like? How does it sweat, wick sweat? Like, does it actually do that? Um, and kind of proving those different claims that brands are making about their innovation. Um, and then also looking at the story behind that product. Like, is it an update? Is it a new material? Is it a different pocket placement that's actually pretty revolutionary? Um, so I'm talking a lot of, in like terms of apparel because that's what I look at. Um, whereas backpacks and skis and those types of goods are a lot more technical. And so I'm still getting my feet wet in product um, reviewing and testing. And thanks to editors, they're patient with me in writing those. But it is really interesting when you like compare like, Oh, I really like this sweatshirt or this, you know, base layer, like, but also this one's good. And then I don't know to, to really know the difference you have to wear it more than a week, you know? So yeah, it's, it's an interesting process and I'm still learning a lot about that. But product is interesting. (laughs) Well, I think more and more I've been recognizing the importance of um, I guess product testers, product reviewers in the Mm -hmm. grand scheme of of like the outdoor industry. Um, Because like like we were saying, like there's so much media out there. There's so much um, information. There's also so much information about product and there's so much product out there. Like you and I have both seen it at OR and probably felt some I don't know. I feel some, some uh, frustration around like how much product there is at the show that doesn't need to exist. Right. It's like the yeah. most sustainable thing would be less of all of this um, totally. or more purpose built product. But that seems to be the, the really interesting responsibility that product reviewers, people like you, um, entire publications like gear patrol, right. It's like so mm-hmm. interesting that you can have a whole publication. That's just all about geeking out about like product and going super deep. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like there's there's such an opportunity and such a role and responsibility for the product reviewers to help those of us who don't have who can't like go and test everything to like help us make the right decisions right and that's got to feel like a huge responsibility I don't know if you feel that weight <laughs> and I hope I'm not placing that on you but because uh, it's not all on you it's like all of our responsibilities to like dig in yeah. deeper and make intentional choices but it seems like there's a really cool opportunity there for product reviewers to like, like curate and help us like find and make the best decisions. Even like ultimately it's our decision that we have to make, but there's an interesting role there. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't, if anything, I feel more pressure around like meeting my deadline than I do about, yeah, sharing that knowledge, but I also am new to it and I work within guidelines set by the, my editors at the magazines. Right. Um, and so like credit to them there, they're really the decision makers um, in deciding how many products and what stories to cover. Um, and yeah, I guess I definitely share in that frustration. Like how much do we need? How many different kinds of socks as much as I love socks do we need, right? Um, I guess that's a bad example because we wear through those more than we do like other pieces of apparel or products. But um, no, it's an interesting thing. And I think uh, brands are pushing the reuse and recycle kind of element a bit more. 
Um, and I think that's even more powerful than the word sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. That we're seeing on tags everywhere uh, from every brand. Um, and so if anything, the pressure is on us to decide whether or not that truly is sustainable, like looking into this history of a fabric or certain material. And so um, I haven't done as much of that as other people for sure, but that's an interesting opportunity as well like where we can kind of suss, suss out uh, the marketing speak, if you will. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, on the, so I wanted to touch on this a little bit too, because this is such a big part of your life now is freelance. And when did you kind of make that decision to, to go completely like freelance? And what was that experience like for you? So I started freelancing in January of this year. So pre-pandemic, I was, you know, as we all were kind of ignorant to what the world would become. But I wanted to kind of expand like my skill set and work with some different people and for different publications. And I also started realizing like I'm a multifaceted person. So as much as like I love the outdoors, I also love like like design and you know, like the people I feature in Honing Her Craft and um, woodworking and like those different types of things. And so I think something I've always thought as a writer is like to fill my cup with those different stories, not only learning new things, but writing about like interesting people in those fields. And so I kind of got the idea last year, like, I think it's a good time to try something new. I'm still young in my career. And if I can do this for five years and like make the same amount or more, like, great, let's do it. Let's try it. I've always wanted to freelance. Um, so yeah, come January, I was like, okay, bye, Kristen. I'll still work for you, but um, I'm going to do some other stuff also. And it's been, like I said, like kind of a rough year, but also really, I've met a lot of goals, like, and it's been really transformative and kind of realizing who I am as a writer and as a person and, um, yeah, it's been a whirlwind year in deciding like what I want to do next. Right. Well, if you can do it in this kind of a year, you know, if yeah. you can get through this and, and do what you're doing, I, you know, there's definitely a long-term future, you know, um, in that. Um, with that said, when did the idea for honing her craft come about? Yeah, so I, my husband and I finished building a van, which we can talk about too if you want. Um and that was, I think, June. And so we were on the road for a couple months before we learned we were going to be moving to Arizona um, for his job. And I think we were, I think he was driving and I had been thinking about like some of the friends I have who have newsletters. And there's this platform called Substack that's really supporting journalists and subscriptions and um, I was like, I want to start one. And so I just started like brainstorming in a journal what that would look like. All those different parts of me that I was talking about, like the woodworking and like crafting and things like that. And um, we we're in the middle of the desert and I started like drafting up logos and things like that and making lists of people I wanted to talk to who didn't necessarily fit like the mold of like what my publications were looking for. Um, and then also as a freelancer, I was really interested in how my friends were making money. Uh, like, how are you an illustrator and um, supporting yourself and paying rent and doing all these really cool projects and putting yourself out there? So, yeah, I think it was like kind of um, like the merging of being a freelancer, learning kind of these different pieces of what make me me. Um, and then just having time and space to think about like a passion project. I can never just sit still. All my friends will tell you that. So yeah, I was like, how can I fill my time? Um, yeah. So, so when, did, when did the, when did the first one launch? I sent the first one on September 1st, but okay. I had been like interviewing people for the past month. So all of August I was kind of putting it together, getting ready for the launch. Right. What, and what, what's the response been so far? 
It's been good. Yeah, I feel like more people should be reading it. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of good nuggets of wisdom. And so I'm focusing on women who are making a living from their various crafts. Um, so and female identifying. So that could be like an illustrator, like I said, a pro athlete um, who's also a filmmaker or a photographer, kind of all those different creative jobs. Um, and I asked them 10 questions about uh, inspiration and creative process. And then we also dig into kind of what they're comfortable speaking about as far as their finances go. So yeah, how do you make it as a freelancer? How do you set your rate? How have you set your rate at $85 an hour? Like, how did that come to be? And like, I want that, you know? And um, so, so yeah, I talked to them during August, sent the first one in September. Um, and then I'm, next week will be the 15th one. And then I'm going to take a break. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 15. How does that feel to, to put out that many? 15 of anything is a lot. Um, but 15 and, and each one centers on one, one individual. Is that right? Yeah. I've or been multiple. focusing on one, just one. Yeah. And we'll see what that turns into. I could have like a gallery of several eventually, but, um, but yeah, I'm going to take a break. 15 feels good. I feel like it's a good kind of stopping point. Um, and I guess I didn't mention like the response has been pretty, pretty good. I want more subscribers. Um, it's hard putting myself out there. I feel like. Um, right. Yeah. How, and that's, that's funny that, well, it's not funny. It's, it's interesting that you say that because you've put yourself out there, like your name is attached to all of your work, right? Yeah. But this, what is different about this in your opinion? What is it that like feels different about putting your name out there, putting your face out there with this project? Yeah, I think it's more than just like interviews and stories. I think it's like building this community. Hmm. And so seeing myself as like a businesswoman feels hmm. weird and uncomfortable for me. I've kind of, even though my name is at the top of every story, like, I'm still behind the scenes and yes, it's my words, but it's really focusing on this one topic or issue or whatever. And so it's not about me. And in this case it is because it really is from my heart. Like these questions are what I want to know about these people. And, um, and yeah, so, and I feel like there's self promotion that goes with that too and creating a new business or venture, um, which is, as somebody who likes to be behind the scenes. You're not a big <laughs> self-promoter? No, not at all. No, I hate like posting photos of myself or even like talking on a podcast is weird, right? Yeah, well, thanks um, for agreeing to have the video, so. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll see. I think that, um, I think growing it as a community is what's going to make it thrive. Um, yeah, well, I I definitely see an opportunity for it. Like I've subscribed and have really enjoyed it. Um, I know that mm -hmm. like our any of our students like this would be really valuable because so many of them have this aspiration to go work for a big brand, get some experience, yeah. and then go out and set out uh, set out on their own, right? And and yeah. do the freelance thing. And so I mean, it's from what you're describing, there's a lot of value in there. Um, for people looking looking for that and people who aren't looking to do freelance i'm not a freelancer but yeah but i can still you know there's a lot of inspiration um and you know and i like learning about the, the freelance um that path anyways even if i don't have plans to do it right now so um totally. hopefully we yeah. can push, push some people your way thanks yeah i hope so too and i see value in it and so i think that's why it will grow it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, with anything, um, have you noticed like consistency being, um, I don't know, it's kind of a common thread that I've noticed in, in my mm -hmm. life. It's like when I do things, put out quality work consistently, some, you know, it maybe doesn't always happen right at the beginning, but if you put it out consistently and it's quality at some point, you hit that point where people start to recognize it. Yeah, I think so. They start to expect it. It's kind of like the Instagram algorithm too. Like the, yeah. if you post every day, you're going to get more eyes because Instagram's like, cool, you're using us, which isn't necessarily a great model to 
um, follow. But um, I think if anything, as the like creator of it, it gives me accountability. And it's mm-hmm. like thinking that people are expecting it on Tuesday every week. It's like, okay, then I have to finish it, you know, um, even if at the beginning, it doesn't seem like there's a great response. I think that once we start loving a podcast, like long form or your podcast, we look for it, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely, I've noticed that with our podcast. It's uh, sometimes it feels like it's for me. Like I need to yeah. get this out because even if there might not be people who are expecting it, but I feel like they are right. So if yeah. you can kind of create that accountability for yourself, that can be really powerful. Um, yeah, I, I try to challenge our students on, on the design side. It's like, it's great if you have a portfolio floating out mm-hmm. somewhere online, but it's even better if you can put your work out into the world consistently. Um, like on Instagram, like put your designs out there consistently and um, like treat that as your living, breathing portfolio. Right. And use that to, you know, keep you accountable. Even if it's not for anybody else, like at least you have that documented too, which is kind of what I'm doing with journal prompts. I'm like sharing one for all of December and it's like, I don't care if somebody else, I mean, I do like, cause I think it's valuable, but at the same time, like this is for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing it as not, not for the likes, but for accountability, I think is a better way to look at a platform like that. Right. You, you shared that with me uh, earlier, right? The journal prompts idea. And I love that yeah. you found, what, tell the story of your, your typewriter. Oh yeah. So my great-grandmother has two vintage typewriters and I inherited one. My mom has the other one mainly because it's like ginormous Um, and this one's more compact. But uh, yeah, I just have had it in storage for a really long time and finally have a space where I can pull it out and kind of use it. And so I've been typing up these little like squares of journal prompts um, simply because I love journaling and especially this year, I think it's valuable to kind of look at what we've been through. Um, As writers, we're like always trying to document like what our emotions are, like the different states of um, the world. But um, yeah, so I was just trying to encourage people. It's right here. It's really heavy. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't want to hold that up to show everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I keep looking over there. But um, but yeah, it's like a good reason to, to use it. Um, so hopefully I can keep doing that and finding other reasons to type with it, but it's kind of like helping me slow down a little bit. Well, what, one thing, especially recently, and maybe part of this is that you're putting more of it out there that I've really loved seeing in your work is like, I don't know, you, you're definitely exercising different parts of the, your brain, right? It's like, it's all creative, but like you're tapping into yeah. these different mediums that, which we touched on earlier, which yeah. I think, um, can apply to anyone, right? It's like, I don't know. I I think anyone who's working in a creative field, like being willing to test out a new skill or, or break out the, the uh, typewriter and, and appreciate the beauty in that, in that medium. Like, I don't know. I've just been really impressed with like the different angles that you're taking and it's all creative and you found Mm -hmm. a way to like bring it onto like, like into one under one umbrella, which is really, really cool. Yeah, it's fun. I, I feel like I was introduced to the T versus I model when I first started college. And so like the T model is like, you're really good at a lot of different things. And then you kind of specialize in one thing, as opposed to just specializing in one thing, just focusing on that. The T model is kind of like a better place to be because you know how to do an IGTV, you know how to record a podcast, but you're really, really good at writing. Um, And so I kind of like, it's not so much that I've like, adhered to that is more like my my brain like needs that stimulation to be really good at that one thing um like we were talking about like procrastination and dawdling around with some other little things um so I don't know if that's helpful or relevant but it's definitely like where that comes from I think for me no that definitely is helpful um, well, you know, I don't, again, don't want to take too much of your time and I know you've got, you've got projects that you've got to wrap up, but as you mm-hmm. kind of look back over your, um, career, young career, um, you're really just getting started, um, in some ways. I mean, you're, you, you have a lot no, of totally. experience, but 
what are some of your most, um, some of the projects or what are some of the things that you're most proud of so far? Oh man, <laughs> I know you asked me that question before, but I'm like, there's been so much. I think that what's been most valuable for me is once I kind of got my feet wet and understood which direction I wanted to go in, I like didn't let that go. And so I don't think it's one specific project, but when I knew I wanted to go and be in the outdoor industry and be part of that community, you know, I'm like watching people's Instagrams who I really admire as they're at OR. I'm like, I want to be in that room too. Um, I just really set some specific goals around getting there and what that would look like for me. And so I think I'm just really proud of um, jumping into the outdoor, well, journalism, because I wanted to, then the outdoor industry, because I learned that that was somewhere I wanted to be. And now as a freelancer, like, just testing these different places out um, has been like a huge accomplishment, I think, for me that I'm recognizing. Um, so lots of fun projects underneath that, I think, but just setting those goals and like, not being afraid to go for it, not being afraid of what other people think of that goal. Um, and also not being afraid to like change your mind too. Like, mm. I don't know, I may not always be an outdoor writer and feeling like that's okay too. Um, so I think just realizing like who I am in this writing space has been um, really big for me. Right. So, oh, that's great. Well, that's we, we won't put you in that box, right? It's like you're the outdoor writer. Um, right. Nobody should put themselves in a box. Yeah. What What are you looking forward to in the future? You kind of mentioned taking a little break from honing her craft. I'm sure there's so much more there in the future. Um, yeah. And it can be professional or, per, you know, whatever you want to share. Like, what are you looking forward to um, in the future? So with honing her craft, I have some fun things. I'm switching over from Substack to my own website and might be opening like a little shop, uh, which has some big implications other than just like selling stickers. Um, so there's some fun things there. And then my husband and I, hopefully by the time the pandemic is, you know, we're vaccinated and um, we can go on another big trip in our van next summer. So we're looking at um, like going up California, Oregon, maybe up in Canada. Um, I'm just excited to have warm weather again, even though we just started winter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and just taking some time for myself and uh, using that space for whatever I want. Yeah. That's great. Oh, that's exciting. Well, how do people stay in touch with all things Amelia, all the things that you're working on? Well, I would say um, probably in about two weeks, you can just use honinghercraft.com. Um, and then yeah, I have my my website where I keep all of my stories, which is just ameliaarvison.com. Um, and so there you can find like the different social platforms and also my email if you want to stay in touch. But, Perfect. Yeah, thanks for asking that. Yeah, of course. Well, we'll link to all of that in the description um, for this episode as well. So, Amelia, I appreciate you just taking time. It's great to see you. It's always fun to talk to you. Um, Hopefully we can meet again at an OR show in person someday. Um, But in the meantime, um, looking forward to everything that you're working on. Thank you, Chase. It's so good to see you. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor industry leaders and enthusiasts, subscribe and listen wherever podcasts are found or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast.